You may be seated. I was uh, deeply surprised and shocked this week after uh, meeting a very young man who looked very good on the outside, worked out, body worked out, seemed to be a very intelligent young man. Uh, when I met him, he parked his car, a very expensive car that he walked out of. And as we started to have a conversation, he went on to explain to me of how that car was a lease and also his house. Because he felt that based on the circumstances that he was going in life and living life in Miami, which is an image-driven culture, he felt it was more important for him to continue to pay his car lease than to rent an apartment for himself. And that is tragic, my friends. That is tragic. The tragedy of this man's life, this young man's life that I met this week, is also the tragedy of Samson's life. It is a tragedy of superficiality that we're talking about here today. Uh, Samson, as you know, has a very strong body, but a very weak heart. Uh, Samson is a very powerful man when it comes to facing his enemies, but he's a very weak man, man in, in terms of facing his own temptations. And Samson loves poorly. He has a weak heart, therefore he loves poorly. In fact, that's exactly what Delilah says to him in verse 15. She accuses their relationship of being a relationship of superficiality. Verse 15, and she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? She clearly points out to him, it seems like our relationship is all about sex. It's all about uh, the thrill of romance, but it has nothing to do with intimacy. And she catches him at his weakness, which allows him to uncover the secret of his life that in the end destroys him and gets him into trouble. And so today I want to talk about this tragedy of superficiality in the context of relationships. Now, I know last week here at Pinecrest, uh, we didn't cover the story of Samson. We didn't start with Samson. I, I preached a sermon in Kibiskin. I was in Kibiskin grounded last Sunday. So I preached a sermon on Samson and I gave an overview of his life which I encourage you uh, to listen to so that there is good continuity between that sermon and this sermon. But what I'd say is this, is that, uh, you know, in Samson's life, the greatest tragedy is the way in which he loved. So today, let's look at uh, the truth of superficial love. I want us to see ourselves in that. Uh, the price of superficial love and then the hope for superficial lovers like ourselves. Uh, so first, uh, the truth about superficial love. Uh, there are three things about superficial love that we ought to consider today. Uh, the first thing is that uh, superficial lovers, people that love superficially, and I'd like to suggest that we all, in some way, shape, or form, we love superficially. Uh, we tend to look first at the outside than that which is on the inside. In fact, let me challenge you in your reading of this own story. Uh, you probably have heard the story of Samson before. You probably have uh, read uh, passages of the Bible or this passage or in the, the three or four chapters that talk about Samson. You probably heard sermons about Samson. If you were a kid, you probably saw Samson in some of the Flanagraph stories growing up. Uh, maybe you've seen the movie Samson on Netflix that has just recently come out. Uh, but 
your perception and my perception of Samson is usually one of a hero of someone that uh, did something amazing for the people of God. He was a strong man. He was somebody to be amazed at because of his gifts and his ability to war uh, against his enemies. Uh, We are impressed by uh, the things in his life that our culture tends to celebrate and those who have similar gifts and similar abilities. But we fail to see the whole man. Uh, We see Samson, even as we are looking at the story, we see Samson in a very superficial light. We forget to see his brokenness, his sin, his pride, his limitations. And so does Samson. Samson sees people also in a very superficial light, especially as Samson is going about spousal prospects. Uh, In the previous couple chapters, we learn about his life, of him growing up. Uh, Samson was supposed to be fully dedicated to God, and God had been very clear that the reason why he had come to deliver the people was not just to uh, lift the yoke of oppression that the people were under, the oppression of the Philistines, but the whole purpose is so that hearts would return to God. And God wanted Samson to live a life that was separated for him. It was from birth, or even before his birth, that the angel had spoken to Samson's mother, stating the purpose of his life of being a man separated to God. And Samson go about his life contaminating himself with the very things that God told his mother that this, his vow would be about. Against the very structure of his vows of a Nazarite, which was not cutting his hair, not uh, drinking alcohol, and not touching dead things. And as you learn about Samson and you read about his life in the previous couple chapters, you see that he violates all the things that God told him to keep. See, Samson is someone that as he pursues relationships, he contaminates himself by uh, falling in love and going after uh, Philistine women and not from the women that were in the people of God within the context of his covenant community. And what he's always looking is always on the outside. The first woman that he falls in love with is this young Philistinian girl. And uh, he comes back home and he's super excited about the fact that he's met a beautiful young gal. And he shares that with his father and his mother. And his father reminds him, uh, Samson, isn't she a Philistine? Aren't there other women amongst our tribes? There are many women. Aren't there other women among our tribes that you could marry? And he says, no, but I like her. I want you to go out there and I want you to get her. Because even though she is not right in God's eyes, she is right. He says exactly that. She is right in my own eyes. He's always looking at the outside instead of the inside. But also, superficial love not only looks at the outside instead of the inside, but it puts utility ahead of beauty. How are they both doing that? See, Samson and Delilah, they have a relationship that's a need-based relationship. They're not uh, looking at that which is beyond the surface. They're looking at that which is only at the surface. And they're looking at that relationship not as an opportunity to give because that's the essence of love. Love is self-giving, but they're looking at the opportunity of what they can take out of that 
relationship. And we learn here in the narrative that we've uh, read today, this portion of the narrative of his life, that uh, that relationship with Samson, Samson goes down to her village and he sees her and he sort of falls in love with her. That's how chapter 16 begins. After, of course, he had slept with a prostitute. Um, but he goes out there and he falls in love with her. And she begins, obviously, a conversation with him and enters into a relationship with him, looking at that as an opportunity, not, not only for wealth, as an opportunity to gain wealth, but also as an opportunity to gain power. See, the, uh, uh, the leaders of the Philistine looked at her as she was entering that relationship with Samson and said, hey, you know he is one of our great enemies. We will pay you money if you can hand him to us. And so she not only sees that as wealth, but as power, somebody that can be recognized and somebody that can be applauded and uh, somebody that can be rewarded in her own community for handing over the main enemy of her people to their leaders, seizing him and neutralizing him. Now, we learned that uh, Samson also has a vested interest in that. And while she is seeking for power in that particular opportunity that's set before her, I think that Samson is trying to prove his own power. He's trying to say uh, to God and to others, I'm in fact the one in control. See, like what we learned in the beginning of Samson's life is that as he is born, as the promise that was given to his father and his mother of that leader of God's people that would be born to deliver the people is born, we learn as he grows up, the spirit of the Lord begins to steer inside of him. And it's very clear and very apparent that he is an instrument in God's hands, that the power that he wields with his hands and with his sword, or even with a jawbone of a donkey, comes from God. It does not come from him. But he has uh, forgotten that. He has forgotten that as uh, he has put his power to test and as he has defeated beasts and as he has defeated enemy. He's beginning to think that he is the source of it all. And now he believes that he is powerful. He believes that he is uh, independent. And he begins to steer away from his relationship with God. And every decision that he makes, every bad decision that Samson is making in his life, he does it out of a sense of arrogance to prove that he can I mean, I mean, in the beginning of chapter 16, I already told you, he goes down to Gaza and he spends the night with a prostitute in a village that's filled with his enemies. Can you believe that? Look, look at what it says in the beginning of chapter 16. Samson went to Gaza and there he saw a prostitute and he went into her and the Gazites were told, Samson has come here and they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. He's putting himself at risk. Like his, his uh, uncontrolled heart, his reckless passions, is putting him and his people at risk. And he doesn't mind it because he is arrogant enough to believe that that power comes from him and that he is in full control. So... We see Samson looking at the outside versus the inside, as we do. 
We see him putting utility ahead of beauty. He's trying to gain a sense of affirmation and trying to get a sense of worth and of value that he is in control and that he is powerful, that he needs no one in his life. At the essence of it all, there's a thirst for power. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with House of Cards, but there's a line in there by Francis Underwood, who's one of the main characters of, uh, of that series. And uh, in there he says, there's a great line. He says, a great man once said, everything's about sex, except sex is about power. It's about exercising control. It's self-serving. The, 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 uh, uh, the way in which sex has been presented to us in our culture, or anything else for that matter, success and achievement is self-serving. We're only thinking about how can others' lives enhance mine instead of how can my life enhance others, right? It's self-serving. It's always self-serving. And that's what we see in his life as well. You know, C.S. Lewis used to say that the, the real essence of love is not need, but is gift. He says, a great man, uh, he says, I need love cries from our poverty Gift love longs to serve. Need love says of a woman, I cannot live without her. But gift love longs to give her happiness. In his promiscuity, in his reckless life, Samson is trying to serve himself, is trying to exercise control. There is a need-based relationship going on between him and Delilah and every other woman that he spends his night with. Because at the core of it all, Here's the truth about superficial love, is that we end up exchanging that which is lasting for the everlasting. Samson has exchanged his relationship with God. Samson has uh, exchanged that everlasting reward for things that will not last in this life. He has uh, exchanged the relationship with the everlasting God with uh, women and passions that would not ultimately fulfill him. That's the trauma of our culture. That's the drama of our culture. Um, Ernest Becker, Pulitzer Prize writer and philosopher, uh, wrote several years ago a book entitled The Denial of Death, which he describes the condition of the modern man. And he says that since in our Western world we have decided to do away with this notion of God. See, ancient cultures, even pre-modern cultures, had God as the central lawgiver and the ultimate being by which you ought to serve so that you would find fulfillment and blessings. And since we have done away with God, we have replaced God for the romantic partner, which explains in our culture. I mean, look at the amount of art that's produced with that theme. That if I find you, my prince charming, or, uh, or my princess, my life will now have meaning and value. If you say that I am worthy, then I am worthy. And unless I found romance, I... I don't feel that I'm a valued human being, especially in this society. There is a drive, a powerful drive in our culture 
towards finding meaning and trying to find value and purpose in life through romance. And that is a tragedy because no one can fulfill the desires of your heart like God can. See, at the end of the day, the story of Samson is a faithful portrayal of our own lives, of how we have given our hearts to other things and other people other than God. And that has cost us tremendously, which leads us obviously to point two, which is the price of superficial love. How has that cost us? What is the price that we are paying for it? Three ways we have been robbed of happiness. You know, if, as, as the more I read about Samson, the more I read about his life, Samson is a sad man. He is a very sad man. Samson does not live a life in the light, but he lives his life in the shadows. In the beginning of chapter 3, I don't know if you've noticed as we read verses 1 and 2, his whole life is now lived in the night. He goes into the night in the cities. He does things in the dark. In verses 1 through 2, that is mentioned three times. And Delilah, you know what Delilah means? Darkness. That's what her name means. Samson is in a relationship with darkness. He's a very sad man. He is empty. He is never satisfied. Never, never satisfied. And the relationships that he is in and out, all the dysfunctional relationships, he only finds deception at the end of it. It reminds me of that which Albert Camus once said, describing the condition of his own life prior to reaching reason. He says this, because I longed for eternal life, I went to bed with harlots and drank for nights on end. I slept in bliss but awoke with the bitter taste of the mortal state. Because at the end of the day, we're all longing and looking for something more and the relationships that we are pursuing but nothing, no one can fulfill that which God and only God can give. The sense of affirmation, the sense of value, the sense of purpose that we long for in the romantic partner, we can only find in God. And the more we insist on pursuing life in search of purpose and meaning through superficial relationships, the more we will experience the bitter taste of misery in our own lives. That is Samson's sad reality, robbed of happiness, but also robbed of reality. See, Samson is in denial. He believes that he is invincible. Why is he sleeping in the middle of a village with a prostitute, surrounded by enemies? Because he believes that he's invincible. Why does he have this conversation with Delilah to begin with when she approaches him and says, hey, tell me the secret of your strength. And he tells two things that were false. And in the middle of the night, uh, as the enemies are coming into the house, he is able to break the chains. He's able to break the ropes because he believes he's invincible. He's in control. He believes that so much so that the third time that she blackmails him, and says, you don't really love me, right? 
Our relationship is nothing but sex. It's nothing about superficiality. He dares to give her the secret of his strength. He gives her. He says it exactly how it is. And he believes that he will still, if he's in danger, find a way out. He will be unaffected if danger comes upon him. I mean, we read that uh, in, uh, in verse 20, right? Um, so he tells her that uh, the secret is in his hair. So she braids his hair and ties him up. And uh, in the middle of the night, the, she, says, the, she says to the Philistines, she says to him, uh, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep. And he says, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. Like he believes, like, this is nothing. He has forgotten where his power comes from. He believes he's invincible. He is in complete denial. He thinks he is in control. Except that he isn't. He has misjudged Delilah's intention because he's an addict. He is a sex addict. It's a classic case of addiction to be in denial. You, you, run, a, you, 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 uh, you run into addicts, right? And, and, and you begin to see elements in their lives that are destructive of how they abuse maybe substances or how they overwork. And, and you confront them. And what do they say? Ah, no, 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 no. It's just because, you know, um, I'm going through a tough season in life right now, you know, but this, this doesn't control me. I can always, you know, it gets worse. And they say, no, no, I got this. I mean, I can, I, I can just stop if I want to. I mean, I don't need to go to rehab. I don't, I, I don't need to go to AA. I don't need to talk about this. I don't need to go to counselors. I, I got this. This is under control, right? And, and this is the issue with Samson as well, but it is also our issue. See, superficial love costs us a whole lot. It costs us our happiness. It costs us our perception of reality. He is not self-aware, and that's tragic. But ultimately, he is robbed of freedom. See, that's the ultimate price that we pay. What a sad picture we have of Samson here in verse 21. Read verse 21 with me. And then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. What is this last picture that we have of Samson in this narrative? He is, the powerful man is now weak. The man that spent his whole life with women is now alone. He is in chain. He's in chains, and he is blind. His life has been completely destroyed. And, and, and worse, we read uh, that the Spirit of God was no longer with him. His life is completely destroyed. See, that's what happens when we set our hopes on anything or anyone besides God. See, our idols cannot fulfill the deepest longings of our hearts. So I've been talking about Ernest Becker, but I'm going to read a quote uh, from his book. It's, it's kind of like a long quote, so I want you to stay with me. But he says this, we still need to feel that our life matters in the scheme of things. We still want to merge ourselves with some higher self-absorbing meaning and trust and ingratitude. 
But if we no longer have God, how are we to do this? One of the first ways that occurred to the modern person was the romantic solution, the self-glorification that we need in our inmost being. Uh, We now look for in the love partner. What is it that we want when we elevate the love partner to this position? We want to be rid of our faults. We want to be rid of our feelings of nothingness. We want to be justified. We want to know that our existence hasn't been in vain. We want redemption, nothing less. Needless to say, human beings can't give you that. And, you know, this is a great assessment because it does not come from a Christian. This comes actually probably from an agnostic or an atheist who has realized that the path that we have chosen to take in our culture, to try to find meaning in love through romance, through being content with living life with superficial relationships, amounts to deception and ultimate disappointment. So, what is the hope? Where is there hope in this story for superficial lovers like ourselves? I hope that up to this point you're saying, yeah, that's his issue is my issue as well. His issue is my spouse's issue. His issue is uh, the people that I am in relationship with as well as myself. That is our issue. We're looking at relationships at, as utility and forgetting the beauty. We're putting people in places where only God deserves to be. And we're experiencing the pain that comes from that. But where is their hope? And, you know, the hope, the hope for superficial lovers is only found in sacrificial love. Let me say that again. The hope for superficial lovers is only found or can only be found in sacrificial love. See, uh, our love is need-based love. In fact, when we say I love you, most of the time we mean I need you. That's the title of the sermon today, actually. And it's unless we experience gift love, C.S. Lewis talks about, that we experience sacrificial love, that we can truly experience redemption, and that we can truly find where we can truly find some hope. So we find this here in the text, right, in verse 22. In verse 22, uh, the last verse that we read today, and I wanted to make sure that this was the last verse because it's a verse about hope. So here he is in that state in verse 21. Now he is working as a slave in prison. In verse 22, but the hair, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Pastor, where is there hope here? Because hair always grows back as the sun always rises in the morning. It reminds me of that passage in Lamentations that the mercies of God, the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Every morning. It's not just, it was not just here today, it will be here tomorrow and 10 days from now and 100 days from now and 1,000 years from now there will still be mercy in God because we serve a God who is always giving, always giving. God is love. That's what it means. He's a giving God, and he never ceases to give. In the same way that hair grows back, there's grace for tomorrow. There's hopes of new beginnings. And that is a pivotal verse in the story of Samson, because 
It's in this state, at his lowest place, at the bottom of the pit, that he is reminded of this everlasting love of God. As the psalmist speaks of in Psalm 136, that the steadfast love of God lasts forever. And in verse 28, reminded of that love, he cries out to God. It's not printed in in, in your handout, uh, nor it is in the Bible lab, but I'll read it to you. It's in verse 28. Then Samson called out to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me. Only this one, O God, that I may avenge the Philistines without even my two eyes. He says, uh, Lord, give me power once again. I'll make this right. And the mercy of the Lord shines upon him. And once again, as his hair has grown back, his power returns. And he's asked to be placed in a party where he is an object of mockery to the monarchy of the Philistines. He says, place me between two pillars. And he pushes those two pillars and crashes that, 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 that where the ceiling falls and crashes all of his enemies, and he dies as well. And that is a tragic story, obviously, but it's a story of redemption, nevertheless, because for the very first time in Samson's life, he is acting selflessly. He is willing to put his life on the line for others, for his people, Before, he was using others. He lived a life of relationships characterized by utility, but now he is willing to give up his life for others. He acts selflessly. Why? Because he had been reminded of the merciful, sacrificial love of God for him. See, God's love for us has a cost. And thousands of years later, we have an ultimate demonstration or a remembrance of this love in the life of the ultimate Samson, who was also promised to his father and his mother, who came into the world with a lot of strength, not a physical strength, but a spiritual strength. And he did not use power to enhance himself. He does not use the life of others to enhance his life. But he takes that which is his, all the power that he is his, and he shares it with the powerless. And on the cross, he gives up his life as the ultimate selfless act so that we can be saved and that we can be redeemed. And it's only by being reminded, listen, it's only by being reminded of the selfless, sacrificial love of God that there can be hope, that there can be hope for dysfunctional lovers like ourselves. That's where the hope is found for us. You, you, you want to be able to uh, love well your spouse. You want to be able to love well your children. You want to be able to love well your neighbors. The only way that the way in which you love can cease to be need-based and be gift-based is if you experience the sacrificial love of God in your life. See, it's only, it's only when you go to God and you say, I need you, that you can st- stop and find the power to 
go to these other uh, sources of false hopes and say, I need you. It's only when you say to God, I need you, that you can ultimately found, find power, truly find power to really say to others, I love you. And I hope that you would encounter this love today. I pray this. Let's pray. Father, uh, we're grateful for the sacrificial love of Jesus in our lives. Uh, Father, we confess that we love poorly, much like Samson. Uh, Father, we confess that uh, we're always looking at relationships in terms of how can this person help advance myself. We're using one another. And Father, and we are reaping the bitter fruit of what it means to love this way, of this poor love. Uh, so, Father, deliver us from that by showing us the hope that exists in Jesus of how you sacrificially loved us. Father, deliver us so that we can truly love others sacrificially. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.